healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the next man. Welcome back to the Basement Full of Music Lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. And holy fuck, Aretha Franklin has left this plane of existence. I am... Sorry to start it off with a bummer, but um, I've been trying to process this all day. We are not taping tonight. I'm recording this on Thursday, and we're not taping tonight. Um, so, uh, you know, it's the type of thing you see in the news all day, and then I ignore it at work. And then I get home, and it's me and the cats, because the lady is in Wisconsin. And, and um... And uh, so I, I, I drank about two and a half beers and uh, saw Sam Moore talk about Aretha Franklin and cried. And now I am talking to you. Um, I don't know any appropriate response to this. Uh, I do know that um, weirdly it ties into what we're going to be talking about um, on this week's podcast. We're uh, we're talking about Zeropa, U2, and, um, and one thing... The band U2 did uh, before this album is they they dove deep into American music and Aretha Franklin was pretty much American music. Uh, they uh, they employed gospel. She was gospel. She was they employed soul. She was soul. Uh, they did this over uh, less on Joshua Tree, but m- more on Rattle and Hum, and definitely in the film Rattle and Hum. But uh, you, um. When you think about where we are in 2018, and and you think about the legacy of this remarkable human, this woman, this black woman, uh, it is uh, so crushing in a way that 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 stuff like you know Prince dying or or David Bowie dying or you know anybody any of the greats um, have not been. I, I don't know. Uh, what to, I, I think, like, just not only has has just the talent been removed from the world, but a, but a very specific voice, and, and by that I mean this is not available to us anymore. Not her voice, but but what she stood for, what she said, what she did, what she made us feel, um, how she made us feel. Uh, she made a president cry for fuck's sake, uh, and 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 that is all. Um, that is all a lot to take in, and uh, and so we're gonna continue to take it in. But I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to start off with uh, talking about that because, like I said, we're not taping. I got nobody to talk to right now. <laughs> I'm just sitting in the basement with cats, and the cats don't know Aretha Franklin from shit, and uh, uh, which is it? Or actually, they probably do. It's a universal vibration, kids, and um, and uh, and. Today, one of those one of those waves uh, crested, hit the shore, and, and extinguished, probably forever. Um, I know it's pessimistic, but uh, you know maybe we'll see. I hope if you're out there and you caught that wave, uh, please start speaking. Whether you do it in song, whether you do it in literature, film, whatever, um, <clears throat> the, the world needs the power 
that Aretha Franklin uh, brought to us. So rest in peace, Aretha Franklin. Um, we're going to talk about Zeropa, as I mentioned. This is an album that we have been wanting to talk about for a really long time. And now that we kind of don't give a fuck what we're doing. Um, no, we do give a fuck what we're doing. But but we are we are um, we are doing more with less, I think. And and so uh, one of my favorite albums uh, for 25 years has been Zeropa. It was I, I was a huge U2 fan. You're gonna hear us talk about all this. And um, but I as huge U2 fan and and Octum Baby blew my mind. And I was in college when this came out. And, and it just man, it just hits in a certain way that um, at the time it was sort of douchey intellectual. Like oh, you like Wim Wenders. Uh, and you pronounce it wrong like that. It's not Vim Vendors, or, or maybe you pronounce it right. I don't know which is more douchey. But uh, but at any rate, you um you know you 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 get hooked on this this weird postmodern stuff that the biggest band, the biggest pop band in the world is pushing out. Uh, but somewhere along the way, this band uh, that had changed the face of rock and roll, I think, um, they caught a wave. And they 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 spoke to fears that weren't they were just starting to bubble up back in 1993, but but they were fears that we now face in 2018, the the ever in, encroaching um, march of technology on our lives, privacy violations, addiction to screens, um, just uh, fake news even. Um, it's all it's all in here. It's all in this album, and it's something that I don't know if people think about too often so so we did think about it so that's what we're doing um so if you guys are still with us uh sorry to talk so long on on these intros we're gonna cut it down short but you know aretha franklin guys um we head on down to the basement and meet drew and and eduardo and uh talk about this wonderful album and i I will point out uh it's almost uh destiny that this happened um, I can't even blame it on a machine. You're going to hear when Drew speaks, it's going to be like funny. There was a glitch in the machine. That's what I was going to say. It's not me. When you assign two mics, or it is me, when you assign two mics uh, to the same channel, um, or one mic, you know, look, I just fucked up. So Drew sounds like he's in a spaceship. And that's sort of fitting. So uh, you guys get comfy, get a drink, grab your cat, hug your friends, listen to some Aretha. Uh, listen to this album, do something, uh, but we're going to head on down to the basement right now, and then uh, I'm going to get off this mic. I'm going to actually edit this together, so it's a weird sort of bit of time travel, and then I will uh, see you on the other side. See you soon, kids. Is that your favorite? It is. It's a good song. I'll tell you why. We can just do the whole episode in five minutes. <laughs> Why is Numb Drew's favorite U2 song? Uh, the lead singer is not Bono. And I'm going to call him Bono just because I think for like the first seven years that I knew this band, that's how I thought of him until I found out that it was actually Bono. It's close it to didn't Boner. sound cool mm-hmm. enough. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's got this weird vocal, lead vocal, and I like it. And it gets really stuck in my head for a long time. But when yeah. I first heard this song... Um, I uh, I had a lot of respect for this band that I hadn't really liked very much because they were doing everything that they could to kind of blow up their sound that mm-hmm. they had um, 
you know, made their name on. And that's something that I'm just a fan of artists doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like that Bob Dylan thing. I'm going to, like, blow up everything about the music and the image and everything that I've done, and I'm going to go in a completely different direction, you know, to hell with everybody that hates what I'm doing. <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, they started it, obviously, with Octung Baby, but I don't think they were fully committed. Octung baby, yeah. and this album. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna talk a lot about it. Is uh, is when they, they 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 went all in on like blowing up their '80s sound. It's a it's a confrontational album, I think, for like people who were who were U two fans at that yeah. point. I mean, it's a cold, it's a distant album. Um, there's there's a lot of it that's not recognized. Like 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 Octung Baby has a lot of things that are still recognizably U two. That like if if what brought you to the band. Um, was Joshua Tree like you could hear plenty on Octung Baby that was still like the thing that you came here for right yeah, I mean, and like, you know, Mysterious Ways definitely came off as like hey this is kind of a new approach a new sound for them yeah but when I heard the like, fly one, the fly yeah I mean one could have fit very easily on it could be the fifth song on Joshua Tree yeah, yeah. um uh, who's going to ride your wild horses is like just sort of you know it's like it could have been rattling home right right um and then they did this. <laughs> and they did this. I, I'm just noticing now, um, and this is because I'm, I'm a child, I think, uh, the, the track length of, of NUM is, is 420. 420, uh, bro. In, in case you were wondering, we are talking about U2's Europa, and uh, we're just going to dive right into it. And this is uh, the first single off the album, NUM. Don't move, don't talk out of time, don't think, don't worry, everything's just fine. Just fine. Don't hope for too much Don't plan, don't achieve or grieve without me Don't check, just balance on the fence Don't answer, don't ask, don't try and make sense Don't whisper, don't talk, don't run If you can walk, don't cheat, don't beat Don't miss the one So what's the consensus here uh, on on um, is that uh, a a motherfucker of a song or b a motherfucker of a song? Which one do you guys think? Or c? <laughs> c? What is c? A real motherfucker a of a real song. motherfucker song. That no, is, that's 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 a great tune. That, that is um, a great tune. That is something that was so surprising. You know, you, you mentioned uh, Octoon Baby at the, at the top there. Uh, Octoon Baby was so you two had this remarkable run. 
uh, starting in about uh, 1980. They had Boy October War, mm-hmm. uh, and, and these were these were albums that in the 80s. Um, some of the tracks made it to radio, but not really. You had to you had to really be into the underground and stuff. You might hear it if you like paid attention, to, like John Hughes films, and you're like, what those soundtracks suggested. Uh, Unforgettable Fire, though, uh, was the one that Pride in the Name of Love mm-hmm. was the song that really fucking got on. But every song, uh, this is the funny, funny thing about that album. Every other song on the album is better than Pride. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's the first time Eno really, like, yep. dug in with them and, and made this, like, statement of, of them being Irish and, and their place in the world and relating it to, like, American politics and, and began their romance with America. They followed that up with an EP because that was a huge tour for them, and then in 1987, the Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. which, uh, in hindsight, like compared to the like, I, I, I've said to you like uh, in chats, in person, just randomly, and it's like the only U2 album that matters in hindsight is Zeropa, and we're gonna try to. That's what we're trying to prove. That's why we're talking about it. As much as I love the Joshua Tree, as much as it is a part of my childhood, and this is peak. You're the same age, I think, Drew. Like, so as much as this was like peak where we were, it was just everywhere where the streets have no name. It comes on with or without you. Come on, dude. Like, yeah. Uh, and um, but it, it in hindsight, it 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 rings false to what I think you two always wanted to do. Uh, they followed that up with a film and, a, and an album, which I actually prefer to Joshua Tree Rattle and Hum. Uh, the films hmm. uh, look, it's one of the best live. Documentaries ever made. Sometimes you learn interesting things about the people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even even that uh, poem about Elvis or whatever. Yeah, Do you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, no. All right. It's a musical journey. It's 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 a, that's a it's so so you guys aren't fans of Red Alarm. That's what I'm getting. But um, but uh, for me, it, it was it was the first time outside of tour film from REM, which they were peers. Right. That you saw an actual, like, sort of raw, as much as it was produced, um, uh, view of a band that the media was not giving you. You know, they've always been about media. They've always been an image. All bands are. But in the 80s, it was about big hair. And and then if you didn't have big hair, you were fucking Smiths or Echo and the Bunnymen on 120 Minutes. And it was just, how dark can you be? Right. And... <laughs> And YouTube wasn't interested in that. They were interested in all that music, but they were they wanted to be, as they said, the biggest band in the world. Well, they were interested in, in I think, it's not that they didn't want to play, they certainly didn't want to play the game, but mm-hmm. they did want to play a, a different type of game. And I think this, <clears throat> I think what's interesting about this phase of YouTube's career is like, this is almost where you can pinpoint the moment where they decided that everything they did was not just about uh, what the band should do, but it should also be a commentary on yeah. bandness or something like that, yeah. right? And that everything had to like work on two levels. It had yeah. to both be sort of a commentary, and they had to be self-aware, but they had to do all that while still being a successful and and yeah. functional band. Yeah, absolutely. And so after after Rattle and Hum, which basically was chronicled the the Joshua Tree tour. Uh, they they sort of saw into their bullshit and were like, dude, we got to take a break. Yeah, this is getting this is this is too much, and it wasn't stress. I think it was just like we are way too full of ourselves right now. 
And uh, and and they did take a break, and they took a a little decent break uh, to 1991. Mm-hmm. Octoon Baby is considered uh, by many to be one of the finest rock albums ever made. I listened to it today. I don't know if I feel the same way as I did about it in 1991. See, I love that record. I love like, I, I love it too. But uh, but we're talking about Zeropa now. Octoon I know. Baby, I know. So. But that, and that's that's sort of my point. Um, at the time, though. But this because the seeds of that are in. You know, so so the edges guitar tone goes from that sort of like mm-hmm. beautiful reverb soaked right um, Joshua Tree rattle and hum sound to like Octung Baby is where you get that cold metallic like distorted wah mm-hmm. kind of feel right, which is the which is why I sort of jokingly call this album post human U two because I think <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I think I think I think they were very consciously saying like how far can we take the the starting point of a band. And how far can we take it from the conventional idea of what music should sound like and still have it retain some form of musicality? Yeah. Which is why it's frustrating to me that they don't, like, no one has gotten a good quote out of the band about why they don't regard this album highly. There, there's a few out like, there. They're embarrassed there's a few about out there. They did, they did love it when it came out. They, they thought yeah. this was the Yeah, they, they stood behind it. And, they were, yeah. yeah. Was and, Pepper, so. Yeah, yeah. That, that was good. No. It was their Sergeant Pepper's. And, and and to get into that, you know, there's a little... So how this came about, Octoon Baby was obviously a huge hit. Huge hit. It had The Fly, which is one of my favorite U2 songs. Mm-hmm. had Mysterious Ways. The had, Fly aged really well. I listened to that song for the first time today yeah. in maybe three or four years. And that song still sounds modern as hell to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because they were getting onto something. And, and part of it may be that they went to Berlin. They went to Berlin to cop like David Bowie's vibe. And yep. it's, you know, look... If you're gonna cop somebody's vibe, cop David Bowie's vibe. But they, they they went there to catch a vibe, and and what is remarkable to for me for th- this album, Zeropa, and in in part Octoon Baby, but I think when they really hit it out of the park was this is how they were like pulling in elements of like cyberpunk, steampunk. They were pulling in mm-hmm. like futuristic stuff. They were pulling in Williams Gibson. They were pulling in all kinds of weird economic theories. They were they were meeting up with people like Vin Vendors, who at the time had right. not made until the end of the world, which is the fourth time this has been mentioned on this podcast this year. <laughs> but they but but he was making a a, a, a duology called um, it was like the Angel Duology, Wings of Desire, and Wings of Desire, so and yeah. and and what shows up on this album, Far Away So Close, yeah. uh, the track from there, which we're not going to play yet, but right. we are going to play um, because. Uh, but uh, you know what what Vendors was doing. You know, and this is a guy who had done stuff like Paris, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so he was also exploring the American, uh, the Americanness of Americans uh, in that. And um, but then went back to his Germany to explain like what had happened. And the only way he could, could explain that like devastation was pulling in this religious imagery, which I don't think yeah. him, despite you two being a, 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 like avowed, like they're just a Christian band, right? So, so look, just let's stop here. Everybody listening to you two, you're listening to Christian rock. This is this is true. But Mr. Mr. Paul Hewson is yeah, Mr. Paul Hewson. But but they're doing it in a way that it, I think is the proper way to talk about religion, which we're going to get into in, in later songs in this. But what they um. What they plugged into was, I think, what we were all thinking about in the 90s because the 80s were chintz and all of a sudden technology, like 
uh, as this album was coming out, Tomb Baby was coming out. I was at Virginia Tech in Blackbird, Virginia, and we just had the internet. Mm-hmm. And for you kids who didn't exist before the internet, I can't like to be able to send an email that it only took twenty minutes to send it. Fucking <laughs> yeah, better better than like two months. Well, also you know for for Octoon Baby, so they're recording in Berlin at the end of the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I think sometimes the, that gets sort of forced into the narrative. But I was thinking about it today from the standpoint of like, how could it not have affected them that what everyone thought was like the central uh, dynamic, right? The central sort of uh, dialectic of our time between uh, you know the free West. And the Soviet Union was like coming to an end, right? So the main, like, like everyone had been taught that like history was like, does like retrospectively we view it as like engineering these two competing factions. Uh, and growing up in Europe, you would be keenly aware of that. And suddenly to have it be like, oh wait, and it just it just ended like fairly it just, quickly, it just, right? It's gone. And suddenly you're in Berlin, and there's no West or East Berlin. There's just right, like I saw, I actually saw East Germany play uh, Brazil in Rio in like the 80s or something, and it's just and you know they wore like green kits instead of like yeah. you know West yeah. Germany's yeah. white ones, and um, but it's just a weird thing, like 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 countries countries stopped existing or started existing, <laughs> um, and so and so that all you know that combined with like this new technological age that was clearly coming along, I think feed into the feeling of like alienation and uh, distance and the kind of the sort of the coldness of this album. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out like how much of it was like uh, influence of, of events around them versus just them knowing that they needed to do something. I mean, like, you know, well, they didn't. Yeah. But what, what do you mean by that? Well, so, I mean, like, you know, we're talking about, like, in the 80s, they, they obviously wanted to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, you can arguably make the case that they, they achieved that. They achieved I mean, yeah. they were just so dominant on the airwaves, you know, from, yeah. from pride to where the streets have no name. It was ubiquitous in that kind of David Gilmore-esque delay sort of effect yeah. thing that, that the Edge had going on. Like, how much more can you do that? Like, I, I, you know, how many of those kinds of songs can you keep cranking out? Like, I think, you know, it, yeah. you, well, that you, was the crisis that they, they found yeah, you, you have to kind of figure out, like, we, we're, we're at a point where we need to reinvent ourselves somehow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess then maybe Berlin is a good place to go to just do that. And they to did, spend they, a year. They I mean, they spent a year recording mm-hmm. Octoon yeah, Baby, right? Yeah, and, and, they, and they launched the, the Zoo TV tour, like, after Octoon Baby. Right. And, and it was during that that they started recording soundtracks. They had a... Uh, Guy named Flood, who is right. a recording engineer. Uh, Flood, along with Brian Eno, uh, he's he's done stuff like uh, well, he's he's mainly responsible for melancholy and independent sadness. So if you need mm-hmm. somebody to blame for that, it is Flood. <laughs> but it's also for uh, he was an engineer on a lot of other uh, projects. Violator. Yeah, Violator. Yeah, or no, it's the one after Violator. No, was he on Violator? Okay, that's Andre. If you can hear him. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but but mm. but you know they they had access to uh to Brian you know they had access to Flood, and and really what they wanted is they were staging this tour as we're the biggest band in the world. It, it is Zoo TV for people who don't know was this multimedia assault. You um you would show up at the arena, it would be at the end. Now now I guess this is commonplace. Yeah, I I mean it has yeah. Um, the only thing that I've seen that that achieved the weight of it was Roger Waters' The Wall, mm. uh, but 
But back in the day, uh, it was not commonplace. It was, you know, you would go to a show, you would wait like four hours for Guns N' Roses to show fucking up, and then then, and then you pass out. And I mean, that, that, that was a good show at the Renwick Civic Center. But, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, what Zoo TV was, was, uh, and, and Akin Baby was meant to be, was a, a, a con- commentary on, even back then, how we consume media, how we produce media, what our media means, our politics. We were getting involved in, in conflicts that we shouldn't have been involved in. We were, I mean, look, the more things change, the more things stay the same. But, uh, you know, they, they were doing this stuff on a level that uh, you now would expect only from uh, lower, you know, tier, like, unheard of, like, punk band camp bands. Uh, and, and they were taking that energy. I mean, and, and, and you know, I want to pause to say that for anybody who hates on you, too, they were that band at some point. So yeah, they, well, they and, were and the I people who did that. They were, they were. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to argue that that this album is, in a lot of ways, like a a spiritual and direct precursor to Kid A. Yeah, and that I think, and that oh, I think well, it really, yeah, we're it, getting there too. And that I think it really informs like a lot of how Radiohead tried to approach their own bandness was yeah, was very because, much because because they they predicted uh, with this the not and maybe Van Vendors had a lot to do with this. But they predicted the end result of technology overload, yeah. of technology addiction, of addiction to yourself, of addiction to media, of addiction to fame, of addiction to all of it. And they put it up as a caricature because they had the money to do it. Mm-hmm. And people went out and saw it every night as pop. And, like, and you know, I will not argue for anything post this album ever. Yeah, this, 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 this album is, this is like is, the dividing line. This should like, have been the last U2 yeah, album. But. Yeah. But in that sense, it, it is their greatest work that they didn't know they were going to make because what all they wanted to do, because they were doing that on stage, and all they wanted to do was basically hype the European tour. Mm-hmm. They had Zoo TV. They had, they had a South American tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had Zuropa, because Europa. And they're like, well, we're going to go in the studio and do a few EPs, and, and, and the, or an EP, and they started off. I'm like, fuck, this is all good. We're feeling like super creative. How do we get it done in time? They did not get it done in time. But they come out with songs that, for my money, this is, you know, you two have, have ballads. If it formulas, this very certainly does fit a formula, especially Latter day U2. But this is one of the best of them. This is Stay Far Away So Close.
so that's um, if you've reached this part in the podcast and you're like, I hate you too, and I guess you hit hit stop. I I, I mean I, <laughs> I I've listened to this would be now 379, 380 some episodes of us talking about music and not understand that we would like something like this because that's a fucking remarkable song. It's interesting because I kind of feel like this album is the U2 album for people who don't like U2. Yeah, I that's think, true. I think that's a good that's way in. Very I true. think that's a good way yeah. in. Why do you think that, though? Um, just because, like, I mean, you know, speaking of somebody who doesn't really like U2, and, and, and I don't hate them, I respect them. They're obviously big, iconic, uh, a big, iconic band. Um, they're just huge. Um, but they're, you know, the, the, when I think of you two, I think of these, you know, just these big anthems, a lot of earnest, overly earnest kind of messages. And, and it just doesn't connect with me. It's just not the kind of music that connects with me, but, Mm -hmm. but, um, this is their attempt at like downsizing their sound. You know, it's trying to be smaller, at least on a U2 spectrum, which is still pretty big, but you know, there's a mutedness to this album yeah. that you don't tend to find with other ones with the big chiming guitar, you know, delays and all of that kind of stuff. Like everything here is attempting to try to make it smaller. It's the only way that I can kind of describe it, but it's more interesting well, for me to, 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 to listen to. There may be a reason for that because what they had to do, you know, I mentioned that they didn't finish this in time. This was meant to be an EP. And they um, all of a sudden had to go back out on tour, and then, but they're sitting on essentially three quarters of an album now, not not an EP. And they're like, "Fuck, this is all great shit. We are energized as fuck." And they aren't really playing these out on tour either. They, these are still like in the pocket. And um, so what they ended up doing was playing tour dates and then flying back. Yeah, they were Dublin. flying back to Dublin. Yeah, they were flying back this, and yeah. forth in different shifts. Like th- th- it wasn't like all four would be in a room. It'd just be like two would go to one place, one would go to the other, one would go to another place. The Edge was more involved uh, with a lot of this, so you got a co-producing credit because of that. Um, it was split between st- two studios. At one point, Brian Eno was using a whiteboard, and he was basically like taking all these jams that he heard that they were doing and like making the arrangements for them. And suggesting like what could happen, and they were reacting off of that. Which, uh, you know, some people might say like, "Oh, well, you're not doing the thing as a band," but that's exactly what a band should be doing. You should be listening to input. I mean, that's a lot. A lot of the ways how music's made now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like Logic or Ableton, and you have samples right. and by committee loops. though. By committee though. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the the approach they took here. Is you know they they recorded you know. Uh, What's it? The drummer Larry Mullins. Larry Mullins Jr. Just a bunch of drum loops, and then they're just manipulating those and cutting them up and looping them and and rearranging things at the mixing at the uh, mixing desk, uh, which is I think a different. Well, they did something, um, and and this is I am am quoting WikiLeaks right now. Uh, Not WikiLeaks. (laughs) That'd be amazing. (laughs) Although don't listen to the Russians. Did this album predict WikiLeaks? I don't know. Is that um, Babyface? Is that yeah, what that's maybe, about? No, no, that's we didn't get to that. Um, um, but uh, Wikipedia uh, said, you know, they utilize a technique they call fattening, which allowed them to achieve more than forty-eight tracks of audio by twenty-four track. We're in twenty eighteen, and I know you don't fuck with this, Eduardo, mm-hmm. but I know you and I do, Drew. 
the idea of not being able to just do what we want. Like, I'm hitting you up to write a theme song for this fucking podcast, and, I, and I've got, like, honestly, I've got, like, 30 tracks layered already. Right. So the idea that that's not a thing you can do is, even to me, wild as an old man. These guys aren't, aren't that much older than us, but... Sure. I mean, in Pro Tools or Logic, right. it's, it's it's very easy to suddenly right. wind up with, like, holy shit, I've got, you know, 80 tracks here but that I'm... About- you have that... that uh, the, the the physical constraints of the board that you have that might be you know yeah. a twenty four track board or, yeah. or, or or something like that and then yeah doing these kind of tricks with uh, you know time sequencing with additional you know uh, gear to to get more tracks out of that is um, sounds painful honestly yeah. to like be doing that in the studio and and luckily I think you two had some people that were willing to kind of put the time in yeah this was a team effort dude to make that happen. You you two didn't do this was not DIY. Right. <laughs> well, but but which is which is why it's funny that that Drew you made the comment right when that when uh, Stay started, uh, which is that the guitar there sounds a lot like a Joey Santiago kind of. Uh, it's 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 probably the most anyone has ever spent to sound like Steve Albini, right? Wh- who like got his sound by just recording you in like an empty bathroom or something with like a shitty blown out amp or something. I mean, the but, drums sound in that you can hear yeah, right, yeah. right up front is, mm-hmm. is right out of the Pixies playbook. When you mentioned that Pixies were opening up for, for you 2 mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder if that was just an influence there because it's... Of course. Bands influence bands. Sure. Like, I, you know, I just have to like, go back and look and see when the Pixies he, actually opened he up. He is... So, so Bon... So, like, and it, it seems clear. The, there was a BBC special uh, on the Pixies and Bono is featured prominently in it as one mm-hmm. of the talking heads, basically saying, we got back to Dublin having, you know, uh, we thought conquered the world in like 1989 or 1990. And everyone was just like, oh, you're you too. Like, you're fine. Like, we, we've all moved on to the Pixies now. And so he, make, he makes it very clear that like, that like you too held the Pixies in high esteem. Yeah. Um, starting in probably 1990 or so. So that's, so what is that? That's like Doolittle and Tromplemone maybe. yeah. Yeah, they 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 were aware of the the uh, playing field they were playing in. And again, back to the experiment REM. We're going to talk about uh, an REM album much like this uh, later on this year. But um, you know, these two bands held the line before. I don't know even what happened, but mm. but it was like if you were looking for just the entry level, like just the just the surface of the wave, we could put in. You could put in at U2, you could put in at, at fucking R.E.M. And that was about it. And then yeah, you could like yeah. go underneath, and, and immediately underneath, you'd find band like the Pixies. You'd find band like Husker Du. You'd find, you wouldn't find Fugazi, because they were fucking way down below. Yeah, but, yeah. but you better believe that all these guys were like, fuck. Like, that's kind of what we wanted to be doing all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be like, you know, I think in the early 90s, if you wanted to sort of, you know, start from scratch to figure out like what was going on, mm-hmm. you know, in indie land or alternative land, like U2 and R.E.M. were definitely not the places to start. No, I think they were. That's what, I, that's what I'm arguing. Yes. Yeah. Well, at, at one point, and, and, and this is funny to think about with, with U2, uh, because like when you're in that sort of like boy war kind of fit, like mm-hmm. they were just a band and they were basically obviously inspired by like you know, Joy Division and, right, and they were sort of, like, coming out of this, like, very different uh, cultural space than the one they ended up occupying. They had emotions. Yeah, they did, they did. Um, 
the other interesting thing that 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 this album kind of really brings home to me is and it's maybe why i think it's um like it's definitely a hip u2 album to like right it's a way to sort of say like right like oh the it's it's like us liking pablo honey by radio i don't know if it is i I don't know well i I think i think i think there's a similarity to it in that and that the band sort of does not acknowledge uh they're they're just not into this record they don't play most of the songs live now now they're i would i would say their their musical output since 19 you know since after since after pop tells me that they thought you know or not the my my belief that this is a, a a fine album for people to listen to if they don't like like you too. This is also an album that like doesn't you know none of the music here shows up in their set list now. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean? so it doesn't. Yeah. YouTube is doing their yeah, tour. Right. Yeah. It's like this yep. big massive Joshua Tree kind of heavy tour. None of the songs on this album right. like totally fit. Like I could see them like you know hey maybe they should try opening up with Numb. Like opening up their show, that'd be yeah, they yeah. Should, yeah, they yeah. absolutely but should. It'd be dope because it's kind of different from how you know the rest of that. Show well, is they go. stopped being big spectacle. This was the last time they took, I think, a really big chance yeah. because I think because I uh, you know pop is sort of an issue because I think it was trying to continue this aesthetic, but it was you coming from the shit. wrong place. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but I, I I even think there's something really mature about this album from the standpoint of like. Um, I think the way you you put it, Drew, earlier is that, you know, U2 was always associated with like a very earnest form of activism. And there's a line on some days are better than others that always keeps coming back to me in that in that context, which is something to the effect of like, uh, I think it's some days you're the army, some days you're the enemy or something like that, which is just like the kind of ambiguity you don't usually get from a Bono song. Well, let's hear a little bit of that, because that is that is one of the uh, and and in fact, that has the. I, I was going for Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car, but uh, also this has this has the same drum sounds. Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car is a Velvet Underground. It's heroin. It is. It's a. Yeah, it's heroin. Yep. Set to techno music, which we're gonna now get into after yeah. uh, some days are better than others. Some days are dry. Some days are leaky. Some days come clean. Other days are sneaky. Some days take less, but most days take more. Some slip through your fingers and onto the floor. Some days you're quick, but most days you're speedy. Some days you use more force than is necessary. Some days just dropping on us. Some days are better than others. Some days Not quite techno, but definitely dark as fuck. Uh, and 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 I don't even know if that's nihilist in that nothing matters, or is it is it more like everything matters? I think it's I think it's a mature statement of you know kind of adulthood. Like I think I think they're feeling probably swallowed up not only by uh, the machine that they're operating, but just by like by the the pace of change in the world and by these large macroeconomic trends and by you know all these you know all all the stuff that they spent their their 20s earnestly believing in and fighting for they've not made a fucking dent in yeah. right they've not moved the needle at all other than getting some people to wear ribbons or whatever or <laughs> right and and so and i think that's that's a that's this very just sort of like mature sobering statement of of uh 
you know, not everything's going to be great. You're going to, you're going to struggle sometimes. And, um, and it's, it's such a like, but for, for a band that's such idealist, like that yeah. their, their whole thing is idealism for them to like, just give into this, like, uh, uh, and honestly get back to the Christian rock. It's a very like Christian thing to be like, we're just human. We are malleable. We are, we are not infallible. We are, we are, you know, just victims of the universe and stuff, which is not what, anybody in this band like actually does with their lives you know bono or bono excuse me yes, bono. bono uh but bono um you know has saved countless of millions of lives with just words i mean he's put a lot of money behind it but just the fact that he puts his his weight behind it like and, and that's not that's not necessarily and this has been maybe posed to europa actually it's not necessarily like some days are better than others. It's like, fuck, we got to do something. Well, it's a song. Um, there's not a lot of agency in the song. Oh, no, right? no, no, no the, not in this song. Right. I'm just talking in, yeah. in, in them as general. It's like a weird song for them. Well, I think, I think what they, I think, I think what, what, what later Bono, Bono realizes is that, um, is that if you act, is that like being a really good and popular band is not necessarily a way to affect policy change in the real world. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. And that, and that the way you do that is to, is to basically, you know, Bono was instrumental in things like, um, the, the, the PEPFAR, um, uh, relief plan for Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which, which, uh, George W. Bush, um, introduced in the mid two thousands, um, and, uh, Bono spent a lot of time, Bono spent a lot of time in Africa, I think with, uh, I want to say Paul O'Neill. Or, or... <laughs> I like that we're changing that. <laughs> yeah. Bono. Bono. Um... It's, it's actually cooler. Yeah. <laughs> But but I think but I think what he what he realized he had to do was to like engage with the world outside of music and and sort yeah. of take the hits he was going to take as a pop star or a dilettante in the world of like serious policy or whatever. Um, but I but I think the transition is that you know there's this there's this quote that they that they made fun of on the uh, on the uh, Scott Ackerman and uh, Adam Scott YouTube podcast when I think I think it was around the time of uh, it might have been around Rattle and Hum where there's where there's this quote from Bono saying to the Edge like. I want you to put all of Honduras's pain into that amplifier or something like that, or El Salvador's. And it's just one of those ridiculous, it was all, it was El Salvador, I think. Yeah. Cause it's um, bullet the blue sky. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, again, like that's first of all, really bad directions to give as a manager in a band to me, <laughs> right? Like um, what is the edge <laughs> supposed to do with that, with that, uh, with that direction? But, but, but more importantly, it's, it's like, it's touching that he thought that, that music could do that. And maybe it can, um, but, but there's also a point at which you realize that like, if you're, if your only tool is going to be music, you're going to end up frustrated because you're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's a lot of reason why, why this band now, especially has garnered so much hate as like, I think if, um, you know, we hold up musicians to this level as like, if you can do this, uh, music is magic. And we, and all of us in this room know that music is magic, but that doesn't mean you can't make it. Like all of us also know that everybody can yeah, make it. Yeah. Uh, back then, people thought that like it, and, and this is this is a measure of commerce. This is a function of commerce. Is that you know you you put this out there and that you buy it because you think you can't do it. You can't you can't get it for yourself. It's something better, something bigger. And when they and other bands start to like rebel against that, it, it gets super awkward. Because look, this was a uh, remarkably well reviewed album. Um, and, and people really actually felt it. They were like, 
holy shit, like, we loved Octoon Baby, but that was still sort of more pop. It was a reinvention of the Joshua Tree sound. This was a complete break from anything they've ever done. This is why this is my favorite album of U2, because, and I think it's the only important album they've ever done, because it, it feels for a brief second like they're connected to whatever place they were in. It feels human, despite its its uh, transhuman <laughs> implications. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and and they're also. I mean, I, so I think it's important to to um, and and I want to give them them credit for seeing this, which is which is the idea that like rock was losing ground to yeah. quote unquote dance music, right? And the idea yeah. that like uh, in ninety three, yeah. And we and we've said this before, by the way, about like 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 one of the key differences between like European. Uh, bands and European hipsters and American ones is that in Europe they go to nightclubs, right? Like, yeah. like hipster kids in the U.S. don't go to like, like, like you either went to raves or you were into like the Pixies. There, there wasn't a lot of like doing both. Well, and there was something very interesting. This is going to be, I think, a leading in the song. Uh, and 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 before I get to that, I want to I want to say what was coming out this year, like in 1993. Um, we've actually reviewed quite a few albums. We've reviewed one of these on this. It was out in 93, and it was let's, equally... Let's sort- not forget Angel Dust. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I left it off the list. <laughs> it's, it's like some mental block, dude. I don't know. Um, but uh, you had... Um, <laughs> 90, 93 was an interesting year for music. You had In Euro. You had the aforementioned Siamese yeah. Dream. I am sorry, world, for that. Uh, but you also had Doggy yeah. Style, which, hey, white people discovered rap. Uh, you had Last Splash, The Breeders, which yeah. was which was you know great, a that's a great record. Uh, I love that, that record. I I don't like The Breeders' like current output, but that is just able to distance myself from nostalgia. That was that was played nonstop in our house. Mm. But now I'm like fuck. Like Kim Deal was always the bomb, but that is yeah yeah that that yeah. is shit. Uh, Papa Honey, Papa Honey. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's up, buddy? That's what's up. Uh, Exile and Guyville. So you, oh, so shit, you yeah. see this turn like towards where the stuff on 120 minutes was still very much pop. It was still very much acceptable. And Exile and Guyville was just fucking weird. It was mm-hmm. abrasive. And honestly, if you were a dude, you scared. You were scared for your dick. You're like Jesus, man. What is? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, I got, that's two storts on this episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other one we've covered, uh, Are You Gonna Go My Way, Lenny Kravitz. Oh, yeah. Um, introduced the concept of black Jesus to white America, and uh, he won with that. Uh, Gentlemen by the Afghan Wigs, which we will be talking about, because once I hit this list that I was looking at, I realized that that's a seriously derivative and at the same time influential album to all music of the 90s. The Afghan, Greg Dooley, what, the work he mm-hmm. did... Uh, was astounding, and it was. It didn't. It has a cult status because it is not the stuff you necessarily want to play for your kids, right? Like it. De- a, it, a... it deals directly with uh, really. Not. I wouldn't even say adult. Really uh, belligerent feelings. Yeah, it's a dark and, album, and uh, and their whole catalog did. But that that was that. Um, but to give you an idea, their peers. Uh, at this time, Sting, Ten Summoner's Tales. So Sting's on a... You uh, twos. Okay. So Sting, so Sting is like, calming down. That's putting it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but a band that nobody had heard of at that point, uh, 
Uncle Tupelo Anodyne is uh, is calling it quits on that uh, diggable planets again. Mm. White people discovering hip hop, right? Uh, reaching for a new a new refutation of time and space, um, and um, kind of grows August and everything after. Right, it, it is a big hit. So like people are like happy that like new semi Dylan is back. My favorite thing that happened that year, though, is, and look, I celebrated this album uh, because I like rock and roll. Uh, Get a Grip by Aerosmith. You know the cover art. You know the cover art. So, so it had, had a, it was an utter with yep. with a piercing. Yep. And at that time, piercing was still. Um, but but anyway, I'm what, gonna I'm gonna you turn us back to Sting for a second, no, no, just just because. No no I, I I'm working up to a point. Okay, and then okay. you can, then you can come back to Sting. Okay. But this is all in service of your point that um the dance music was taking over, that that not and and I think when we say dance music, it's not just dance music. It is, um, the idea of that you didn't have to be necessarily straight. You could be gay, you could be bi, you could be whatever. Uh, during this time, like, uh, Living Colors put out stuff. Vernon Reed's been tweeting about stuff about bi. Like, they, they just completely, yeah. like, canceled a release on an entire continent because they were like, we don't want that song on the album. He's like, all right, we're not releasing it on your continent. Wow. And and um, they were hip to that. But what was essential about this, and this is something that randomly... Uh, Darian and I were talking about was when the East and the West of Berlin unified, what brought them together was dance music. Mm. And that you could go out at night, you could all of a sudden go out at night with people that you don't have anything in common with because one has been in like a Western like freedom and another has been in like a, a oppressive like communist regime or at least the way we saw it back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And, and all of a sudden they could do this and do this together. And I, this song that I'm about to play, even though it is more about technology, um, I think captures that. Because if you had to think you 2 you would never think that they would make a song that could spawn like literally a billion remixes that are played to this day in clubs but uh, they did and the name of the song is one Projected here 
some disco motherfucking. It's groovy. <laughs> it is. It is. It's some absolutely groovy shit. It is. Is so forward thinking. Um, a band that has spent its time uh, thinking about the past few years, thinking about America, thinking about American music, thinking about like songwriting. And and look, let's be clear. I think in 2018 we can look back at the history of rock and roll and see that. Most countries look to us for like how it's supposed to sound a little bit. Unfortunately, I think I, I, I say that as a negative. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think I think that only holds true until you remember that like most of the important steps forward in rock were made by like Brits, uh, mostly. Right. Well, well, yeah. that, that, that and, was that was the early. That was the unless, birth of rock unless, and roll. unless we forget the band is Canadian, <laughs> like like the greatest American the greatest <laughs> rock band of all time is like three quarters American rock, three band, quarters so. Canadian. <laughs> so. No, no, I no, I, I think I think we have we have unfortunately managed to define everything uh, going forward. But what a song like Lemon says is that uh, in 1993, like that wasn't going on in the airwaves in America. Well, that wasn't going. Yeah, it. yeah I mean, but it, but it, but it was in the because because what I hear there a little bit is stuff like the Stone Roses, the Charlatans, Primal Scream. Like, was I, that going on on the radio though? I th- well, well, it, I don't think it was here. Um, it but was. That's what I'm saying it's it was. It was in a little America. bit. Yeah, yeah. It what like like I you know some of that was happening. I was hearing it um, in Brazil. I know. I know they were hearing it. Um, I know you two were hearing it. Yeah. Right. Um, but but it but it makes sense that like that song would hit American audiences who didn't know those bands as being like okay there's there's some familiar kind of soulful elements that I recognize in this song as being disco and kind of related to American American soul but the sort of the droney bass yeah um, the way the drums um, are uh, the way they sound on that like that to me is much closer to like the kind of Madchester stuff yeah. Um, and and it would have sounded completely foreign. Yeah, I, mean, I think American audiences and specifically like U two fans in America might not have had a great time with this album, at least when it came out. Like I recall, like U two fans or or just American audiences kind of being like feeling like they were trying to co opt some sort of dance movement, uh, electronic mm-hmm. yeah. music thing, um, and it felt fake to them. Yeah. Uh, and in hindsight, it feels forward thinking. But like you know, I remember that happening. That people felt like they were trying to, you know, but it, but it was get people, so far away from their but it was, sound that they had made their name on. But it was people who were who were aware of what you're talking about. Like they they certainly they definitely, and this is what kind of man they are. Uh, they take from what's going on in the underground and they try to filter it through themselves. Because they're curious artists, mm-hmm. and they have a platform, and and to YouTube's fault, and, I, and I'll say to a very big fault on this album, is that they don't credit the people that they actually pulled this from. They don't credit all the different like dancehall DJs that they were pulling this from. The going forward from this, uh, you know, you have that embarrassing all the kind of rocks, uh, Batman uh, Forever or some single that they did. But you had hold, Clay- hold me, thrill yeah, me, yeah, kiss yeah, me, yeah. kill me. Yeah, yeah. it's a good point because when you read about this album, it, you you read a lot about Berlin, but in the context of like Eno and Bowie. Yeah, right. But well, not but necessarily. That's intentional. That's intentional. What was happening right. in Berlin at right. the time that's, that they were? That's absorbing. intentional. And 
And but but they going forward, uh, Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton were party to, and I think they still are. Like they found themselves in a land of like, hey, we can do like soundtrack work, and we can do like beats, and we can do all this stuff. And, and they they felt like good musicians should. They fell into this whole other thing where they're like, their talents are utilized over here, and then on the other side of that is the Edge and and Bono. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this might stick. Yeah. I always, I always wonder if Larry and Adam are like guys. Like you, like I'm not gonna call you fucking Edge. Like I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, like I don't. I... <laughs> I was about that leading up to, to to coming here tonight. Like, whenever I'm reading about you two or talking about you two, like it's hard for me to say the Edge. Yeah. Without. Like, kind of chuckling. Would you rather say Dave Evans? <laughs> yeah, Dave oh. on guitar, you know? He's a Gilmore kind of a thing. He's a good yeah. bloke. It's just, no, the edge. There's Take it in this direction. It just kind of, it's like, it's hard, honestly. So my my friend Andres and I, who was on for the Day of the Dead podcast, <laughs> have this long running, uh, and, and it's not something we, like, either one of us really sincerely believes, but we started trolling each other with, like, uh, who is more pretentious and more of a dick? Is it Sting or is it Bono? <laughs> and, and so, and so it's, and so I remember at one point, Andres, Andres being like, he can't even admit his fucking name is Gordon. And I was like, I was like, you're talking about a guy who goes by the name Bono Vox, which translates to beautiful voice. Yeah. Right. And he named himself that to stand there on stage with a guy whose name is The Edge. His first name is The, according yeah, to this. <laughs> right. right. Like, to no be clear, way. though, like this came from the scene from like Irish gangs and 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 Bono Vox was just because he kept getting his ass beat and they can sing. And so he dropped the Vox. But The Edge was because he had a pointy head. Like it's not. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's like that. He uh, could never like actually like side and commit to like one side. Oh so was shit! Always, like, oh, you know, yeah. It's a, it's a side narrative I know nothing about. Honestly, okay. I, this it all feels like you know retroactive explanation yeah. because I bet when he was a kid, the edge sounded pretty edgy, and it kind of sounds like yeah. those you know childhood decisions you make that you regret later. Yeah. But somehow he's convinced the entire world to just refer to him unironically as the Edge. If you get paid a million dollars every time somebody plays your song, and they want to call you the Edge, you probably say that's fine. You say, eh, "Okay, you can call me the okay, Edge." If you can get the Edge down here in the basement, I will not encourage you to start referring to him as David. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Is, is that the litmus test now? There it is. When yeah. Edge, comma the uh, when, <laughs> when <laughs> I know you spent your whole life. How does it feel to be David? Family regrets. <laughs> so I, I I think that I'm, I don't know how to get back here, but. There is um one other point I wanted to make about that song because um I didn't I've I've known that song since you know since yeah. this album came out and it wasn't until the past week when I started um I had to wade through like all of the stupid fucking think pieces about this record turning mm -hmm. uh 20 and 25 over the past few years um and there's in one of those articles there was an anecdote about uh, the basis for that song being a a picture that Bono had seen of his mom where she's wearing a lemon yellow dress. Yeah, yeah. And so the whole basis for it is that 
he's kind of you know you you don't know that it's not a romantic pursuit but um he famously you know lost his his mom at an early age i think he was 13 or 14 and 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 the whole vibe of it is that like everything he's built up and everything he's gone out and do is to try to find a way to like get closer to her yeah and that and that she's sort of this woman he's chasing so so even within all of those layers of like uh kind of techno sounding things that are supposed to take you outside of yourself what you have is a really kind of intimate and personal song about right. his mom and 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 there's there's a lot of fathers on this Which, record too yeah there's a lot right. of fathers on this record there's uh you know this one's dirty day um you know and and to be clear it's not it's not clear if if you two is talking about father whether they're talking about god or their actually father uh the first time um first time in dirty day or right in a row they're two of my favorite songs of the yep. album uh, that they're uh, they are the rockers. Like famously, they they yeah. went through and called most of the rockers from this. It'd be interesting to see if there were like B sides uh, that didn't make it in this. And um, but to your point about about it being personal, um, they did manage to do this weird thing that I think as we as we start to wrap this up, um, make this like this statement on on the future of what the world would be. And, and I think it works still. I know it works still because we sat up last Thursday and listened to the, we did. Of it. Yeah. like we're on, talking on about IPA it right day. now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and it works still because all the things I, they didn't personally anticipate it. They were pulling from all these people who were talking about the future and mm-hmm. artists who are looking at, like where we're going and stuff, but if you look at like a song like Babyface, that's Instagram. Yeah, that's right, Facebook. Right. That right. Is, that that is that is uh, specifically a man um, like, it's like a, harping it's about on a stalkerish celebrity. quality. Yeah, yeah, but 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 it is. Um, Lemon is also Instagram. It's like saving time. Yeah. Um, There's a David Burness quality to his lyrics on the like you know a man yeah. takes a picture and and the sort of the idea that the yeah. picture becomes a stand-in for the real thing right and then, right yeah. but the, but the, the matching it with this different like for lack of a better term techno sound yeah like they they were they were uh, always and, and I think this is the fault in the we'll just call them by their real names in Paul's real name. <laughs> In uh, Paul's ego is that he has to feel like relevant, and use that as a buffer for making a statement. Interesting. Uh, and and yeah. in Dave's, <laughs> uh, you know, well, existence looks like you know layers upon layers. Oh, we're doing this. Got, okay. <laughs> he's got Bono, and then layered on top of that, he's got like McFisto. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Why? Well, yeah, and Mephisto was a Mephisto yeah. was a character that that evolved out of H. Uh, w. Bush, and it, and it was I mean, and they famously like called the White House right on tour uh, every and, night, yeah, every night, yeah. And, and 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 sometimes they got through, not to H. W. But you know, they 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 did the thing, um, and and so it, it's a weird, uh, and it remains and it stands as one of the weirdest and best like statements and signposts on the impact of technology that we did not even know was coming. We are in the headlines today talking about like how Facebook is doing this. Twitter won't ban Infowars, which by the way, fuck you, Jack. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know what we, how we can, yeah. Yeah. Or just resign <laughs> again. Uh, but, but 
you know, how we consume data, how we consume information, how we consume entertainment, uh, for as glitchy and as forward-thinking as this was, everything on this up to, I think, a song we're not going to play because we played a lot already, um, The Wanderer, which they got Johnny Cash to sing on the album, which in this remarkable album about futurism and future sounds at the time, uh, they have like the the rock mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes in to deliver a soliloquy about what it's like in the wasteland after all this is gone. I've I've read a bunch of different interpretations of that song. That song yeah. is only about like you get to that song and like this is this is the build up to the end, and then the end comes and it's like the only thing left is Johnny Cash, <laughs> which is which is. Brutally brilliant. Well, it's a it's 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 a way to 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 put kind of a human figure back at the center, and it's a song about kind of because we questing, don't right? because like, because in our history we don't know anybody more human than Johnny Cash, right? Pro- probably, and this, in and, this is, and this is well, well, and this was before you know, and this is and this is like this is ten years before, not ten years, but seven or eight years before the Rick Rubin recordings yeah, yeah. Like, introduced Johnny Cash to a whole new audience, right? Um, there's a lot of people I've talked to, uh, Kenny Progue, who from One of Man, who could yeah. not be here tonight. But he, when when I said we're going to be talking about this, he says the first thing he said was, first time I heard Johnny Cash was on Zeropa." Mm. If 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 that's what we're doing as people, we got to do. Better. <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't know the answer. I mean, did did Johnny Cash's appearance on this album? have anything to do with sparking uh rick rubin's interest in producing i'm sure i'm sure but i mean that's a hard thing to say i mean we're we're all music fans down here so it's hard to put ourselves in the feet of people who aren't necessarily i grew up my entire life knowing johnny cash i knew like the carter family i knew and like like everything like as soon it is one of the first things you should discover um yeah, I don't. That, I mean that that it's not that it's not part of popular culture, like the top, the tippy top of it. Like I, I don't know what that is, so I don't have a response to that. But maybe it wasn't, and maybe it, maybe them putting on this like changed that. It changed the timeline. Maybe they're from the future. Maybe they're like shit's fucked up. We got to come and drop Johnny Cash in a thing. I mean, it could be a coincidence, but you know, Johnny yeah. Cash appears on this album, and and it and it's it's yeah. uh, it's. You know, it's a it's a fairly profound statement yeah. musically on this album, and you know, next thing you know, Johnny Cash is is putting out his Rick Rubin series of American recordings. Well, and this, you know, catapulted back into which, by uh, the way, nobody from U two ever played on. Yeah, correct. Well, and this album sold, although he did cover one on that, right? I mean, uh, you know, he did cover yeah. one. Yeah. Um, well, and th- and this album sold what three million, four million copies or something, and Octing Baby I think sold eight to nine. Yeah, right. Yeah. Joshua yeah. Tree is probably like I don't know, all twenty, <laughs> all of a million. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it would have. I think Johnny Cash's Rick Rubin years would have played differently if this record hadn't been immediately, not immediately, but like within twelve months, sort of set aside as a like we don't want to talk about that anymore. Right. Yeah. If this album had been like massively popular, suddenly. The the uh, those those Rick Rubin records would sound like 
kind of cashing in on something as yeah. as it is i think it 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 plays differently and it's and it's, it's I'm, I'm glad it does yeah right yeah but all but all the things they're talking about on this have um like i said they are internet addiction which is what until the end of the world is about yeah um our uh addiction to media or disdain for truth or our self serviness or like everything is on this album. I, I I can't even uh I have celebrated this album since nineteen ninety three. and um it's I can't quite understand how it's still enriching in twenty eighteen. But every time I listen to it I'm just like this is such a huge snapshot of who we are mm-hmm. as a people in general. And and it's such a huge outlier in their career. Because for all it's... their effort, for all the things they tried, all the earnestness that they tried to put into everything, they get it on this throwaway thing that is, um, in many ways, like ironic because it was a... They had to do it fast. They had to do it without... Thinking about consequences, they had to do it without yeah. all these things. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know. Like, and I don't know, you know, a whole lot about it, but I guess like you know, David Bowie, who was not necessarily the biggest YouTube fan yeah. all along, heard this album and said, you know, uh, remarked that this album kind of shows what post two thousand music might be about. Actually, or, we, yeah. we, actually, that's that's how we're going to wrap this up because David Bowie, who we know. Um, uh, who interestingly enough, so I revisited this, and and I'll put this on Mike because uh, it's getting in a bit. It's better for his singles, not for his albums, except for Black Star. Ooh. So y'all, y'all sitting that, y'all <laughs> listeners sitting that, but but he and was Kevin spitting fire. He he, he, <laughs> he was he was the genius. He was uh, the uh, heart. He was the. Um, whatever the fuck he was in Twin Peaks The Return. Um, but uh, but his actual quote was, you uh, two might be all shamrocks and deutschmarks to some, but I feel they are one of the few rock bands even attempting to hint at a world which will continue past the next great wall in the year 2000. And uh, that rock. Yeah, I left with nothing Nothing but the thought of Europa by U2 right there for you. Um, that fulfills, if you have a, um, a Venn diagram of what a motherfucker of an album should be, that fulfills every, all the circles intersect. That's a motherfucker of an album. It is prescient. It is, uh, it is vital. It sounds fresh even 25 years later. And uh, look, man, don't electronic music nerds don't get all up in here and and be like oh but it's just like derivative yes it's derivative but that's the point and we said that in the episode is that most people don't hear this shit and that is what is remarkable and that's what has stayed remarkable and it has stayed fresh I certainly didn't hear this shit I'm not gonna 
like claim to be the the that particular type of music nerd. Where I was like, I knew all the stuff that was going on there. Hey, no, I didn't. Neither did my roommates in college. All we knew is that this slayed, and it spoke to us, and it, it spoke to fears that we did not even know we were going to have. But now we are here, and uh, and it's still relevant. I will say, um, part of the reason too we did this was because it just got reissued on vinyl. Got the vinyl, sounds phenomenal. So you should go out and do that too. Uh, that is our podcast for this week. We're not going to do anything else. Um, if you liked what you heard. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can do that. You can listen to us on Pippa. You can listen to that's our podcast host. If you want to start a podcast, go to Pippa. I'll, I, I've told you guys all about that, but uh, I'll put something in the show notes. A link to go there. I think we've got a code or something. Anyway, they're great. They're fucking great. And um, and uh, you can also listen on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify. So you can dial up right now, Zeropa, and then you can. Listen to that, and then listen to us talking about Zaropa right in Spotify. It is it is so damn cool. Uh, so do all that. The music here underneath this right now. This this is uh, Jamal Gray, Aquatic Gardener. He's a, a DC artist, and um, working with this stuff and Nag Champa. Uh, I need to get him back down here before we um, before changes are made. I'll just say that. And um, uh, but you can find all his stuff on Bandcamp. Those links are always in the show notes. Big thanks to Drew and Eduardo for hanging out. Coming up in the next few weeks, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about life with PJ Sykes. That's going to be cool. And actually, you know what? We're talking about life with Luna Honey. Um, we've played them on the podcast before, but you uh, you have not uh, really. I, I, I don't know that you've got to know them. Their new band, based out of Washington D.C., a new band made up of of, of uh, some old veterans of the scene and some brand new people. Uh, but but I sat down with them on Tuesday, and and they are just um, it was the best. It made my week, is what I'm saying. So that's going to be coming. And then um, I think we got some groovy albums coming up in the next month or so. August is slow. September is a little faster. October is batshit wild. So uh, look forward to that. Um, so that's it. We're out of here. So we'll talk to you guys next Friday. Until then, get out and see some live music. If you're out there, say hi to Mauricio Castro or Avery Junius. They are out there shooting live shows for us. Uh, and uh, most importantly, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>